everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm Carrie Parker, and we've got yet another great show for you this week. And pretty much most of what we're going to talk about this week is the Petya virus. This is something that has been sweeping the planet uh, along the lines of the WannaCry virus. We're going to talk about that in just a bit. I've got a great interview with Lawrence Abrams from Bleeping Computer, and he's going to tell us uh, more about Petya and how to protect yourself from viruses in general. Great information there. And I'll wrap up, as usual, with a tip of the week. So let's talk about the one and only major news this week, and that's the, well, the not Petya virus or the Petra wrapper virus or the rat Petra virus. Or, it's got so many names, and unfortunately, there's really no standardization. So all the companies or all the security companies that find these things to give it their own names, and they're all variants of, of something hopefully similar, but they're all the same thing. And Petya or not Petya. Uh, the reason it's called not Petya is because there was a Petya that was last year, P-E-T-Y-A, and that virus uh, was ransomware. And this year, there's a new variant uh, that looks similar to that, but not apparently by the same people. And so I guess they're calling it not Petya or Petya wrapper or something. It's it's kind of that program on steroids. And it's also very similar to the WannaCry virus that hit us just about six weeks ago. So you've probably been seeing this on the news. Uh, this virus doesn't appear to be hitting as many um as many people as it did uh, with the WannaCry virus, which it shouldn't. We should have all been patched and prepared for this. The 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 same way that WannaCry spread is the same way that NotPetya is spreading. So if you had patched your computers and updated your software and protected yourself uh, since last time, then you should have been safe around this time. So hopefully that's the reason one one reason it hasn't spread quite so far. But as we discussed uh, back when we talked about WannaCry, there are some kind of strange situations where. It's very difficult or very expensive, uh, sometimes even impossible to to update some old systems. Uh, they can't they can't be down. For instance, if you can't take the system down, they're somehow mission critical, then it's basically impossible to do updates. A lot of these older systems are running uh, an older version of Windows called Windows XP, uh, and luckily Microsoft has released patches for these for these um, for these bugs. Uh, with and Windows Pex, Windows XP, even though it's not supported, uh, no longer supported. So it, there's there's not much excuse for not being up to date, but there are still some scenarios where it, it's harder or expensive to do, uh, especially with these older legacy systems that are very expensive to patch or, or possible to take down in, in, in a convenient way to get patched. So that's why some of this stuff is still happening, even though even though we should have known better at this point. So the NotPetya virus uh, seems to have hit Ukraine pretty hard. Uh, the state bank, the state telecom, uh, an electric company, some point-of-sale terminals and ATMs. Although Also, the Danish company Maersk, I hope I pronounced that right, um, it was affected as well. It seems to be more limited than WannaCry. Uh, nevertheless, some of these uh, infestations have been pretty bad. And it, once it gets into a network, if you're still using the old technology... Uh, the Windows is patched, but if you're not patched, then that spreads pretty quickly, and that's why it tends to hit. The technology that it uses to spread um, is enterprise-type technology, so it's not something you're likely to have at home, so that's why we don't see this stuff hitting you at home that much, but nevertheless, it's important to understand this stuff, and anything that could affect a computer at an enterprise or at a business can affect you if you're not careful. So what what is this malware? So NotPetya is, is similar to to other ransomware and run want to cry in that it encrypts your files and says, if you don't pay me $300 in Bitcoin, you can't ever get your files back. However, this really is what we call wiper software or just true malicious software in disguise because 
from everything I've read about this, either they did it wrong and screwed something up, uh, or they really just were pretending to be ransomware because from everything I've seen, once this hits you and once your files are encrypted and once it's messed with your hard drive, your files are gone. You can't get them back. So don't pay. If for some reason you got this, don't bother paying because I don't think anybody's actually gotten their files back. So what this really appears to be is just pure, pure evil intent. Not a lot of make. Uh, I think they've made only $4,000 so far. So some people have paid the money, not many, um, but there's no reason to pay. And even if you were to pay, I, from everything I've read, you won't get your files back anyway. It really just totally messes up your hard drive and makes it impossible to read. There's nothing that can be done. So if, unfortunately, if this one has hit you, you're pretty much out of luck. So in just a minute, we're going to be talking to Lawrence Abrams from Bleeping Computer, and he will give you all the expert views on this virus and how to protect yourself from viruses in general and all this malware that's been going around. It's obviously getting worse, uh, so you got to know what to do to protect yourself. Uh, both before and after the fact. Even if you think you're infected, there are still things you can do. So we're going to go through all that and get some great info from him in just a second. But right before we do, let's think about that. Bleepingcomputer.com. What what a great name. That was a fantastic name for a company. And have you ever had a great idea for a name for a company or a service you'd like to provide or just some great website name you'd love to have? Well, you can have it. All you have to do is go pay for it. Uh, you need to go to a domain registrar. And, and I'm here to recommend Hover.com. These guys are fantastic. There's so many different registrars out there, and you I'm sure you've heard of the popular ones, the Super Bowl ads for some of the big-name folks, but I'm here to tell you that these guys, Hover.com, do one thing very well, and it's doing domain names. And one thing I love about these guys is they build the privacy features right in. Most of these other companies make that an extra fee. You have to actually pay to keep your information private because whenever you set up a domain name, you have to register with what's called the Who Is Registry. And in that who is registry, you tell you tell them all the information about you and anybody who looks up that domain name, you can try it yourself right now. You can go to a search engine and say who is uh, and pick some pick some domain, some some website you like. Uh, now, if they've got the privacy thing up set up, you'll see right away that there's nothing there. But if you try like try some mom and pop sites, see what you find. I bet you're going to find some of those that have the, the, the people's contact info right then and there. And guess who else can find that spammers? And all the other people who want to just send you a bunch of junk mail. And, you know, if you run a business, you might not want that information just out there for just anybody to automatically go and pick up and get you on a whole bunch of junk email lists. So what I love about Hover is they build that right in. Now, I just switched my wife's domains. I've already switched my domains. And so I also just switched my wife's as well. Uh, and she was going to have to pay 15 bucks a year for the domain and then another 7 bucks a month for her privacy. So... That's a 47% increase in price. Now, it may not seem like much, but if you've got a few of these domains laying around, that starts to add up, and it's every single year. And what I just love philosophically about this is that Hover just believes that it should be built right in. Everyone needs their privacy, and there's no reason to charge extra for that. So uh, anyway, they've got great support. Highly recommend you check it out. And uh, you can get 10% off your first order if you go to hover.com slash firewalls. Basically, just tell them that Carrie sent you, and they'll give you 10% off your first order. All right, now let's talk to Lawrence Abrams and let's find out what you can do to protect yourself from all this malware. We are one of the fastest growing podcast and talk radio networks in the world. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. And we stand proudly with the men and women who serve in our armed forces and our law enforcement heroes. Thank you for being part of our family. 
and we'll see you back at AmericaOutloud.com. All right, and as promised, we are here with Lawrence Abrams. He's the creator and owner of BleepingComputer.com, and as such, he is an expert on malware research, ransomware, and computer forensics. Welcome, Lawrence. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for coming. It's been another one of those weeks, and it seems like we're having we're having these weeks more often than not. Uh, so, but before we jump in, uh, I, I, you've got a fascinating website, and I'd, I'd like you to tell the audience just briefly. Tell me what is Bleeping Computer? What might users use on your site? Yeah. So. Um... Bleeping Computer basically got started as a way for users to find help um, really for any type of computer issue, whether it be security, um, issues with Windows uh, hardware, and to come to a place where it's going to be easy to understand the the help that you get. Um, and uh, we've been around for about, I would say, 13 years now. And uh, we're devoted to providing, you know, the most up-to-date security news and technology news as well as support. Yeah, and I've uh, been poking around your site today. I was actually a member for a while, but I took a hard look today before our interview. And you've got some just amazing content there, all sorts of great info, tutorials, and forums where you can ask uh, people questions and things like that. So it's obviously, you know, needed now more than ever. So we appreciate your work. Thank you. So let's dive in. So, you know, we've talked about this many times on the show, but just... You know, just for the sake to recap, in case people are just starting to tune in, what briefly tell us what is malware and and what are some of the most common types of malware? Yeah, so malware is really any program that has a harmful effect to you or the computer. Um, it could be um, adware, which shows advertisements. It could be uh, worms, which are spreading from one computer, using your computer to spread to another computer in order to steal passwords or provide a backdoor into your computer. And uh, one of the, the latest ones that we track very heavily at Bleepy Computer is ransomware, which takes your files, encrypts them, and then demands a ransom payment in order to get your files back. The analogy I always use for ransomware, it's like the, it's like a thief broke into your house, took all your valuables and put them in a safe in your living room and left. Yep. <laughs> and put a note and say, if you want the combination, you got to pay me money. They didn't take anything. You have everything, but you can't access it until you pay them money. Correct. Uh, now, this particular one that's been going around, let's talk about the one that's spreading like wildfire. The Okay. I've also got many names for this thing. So I've seen uh, not Petya, Non-Petya, Not-Petya, Petrap, X, uh, you know, first of all, who names these things? Why is why is there not one name? Uh, yeah, it's one of the more frustrating things. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> every AV, every vendor will give it its own name. Uh, we've been just calling it Not-Petya. Make it easy. Um, but, uh, you could have, there's probably, I think in the last count, there were five or six different names going for this particular ransom or whatever we want to call it. Yeah. I remember there being many names for WannaCry as well. And, uh, and this is being compared to WannaCry. So what, what is non, not Petya and how does it compare to WannaCry? So uh, not Petya at first glance was a, appeared to be a ransomware that was modified to be able to spread like a worm. So once it got infected into, once it infected one computer, it was able to laterally spread to other computers on the network. This particular ransomware, what is, the reason why it's called not Petya was uh, back in March 2016, there was a different ransomware called Petya that was targeting German victims. And the way that ransomware would work, it would encrypt the uh, master file table. First, it would install a master boot record 
um, loader that would then encrypt the master file table. So when you rebooted your computer, you would be greeted with this flashing skull and then a message saying that your files have been encrypted and you have to pay a ransom and so forth. Over time, it evolved into other variants. And so when this came out, we thought it was a version of Petya. Uh, it turns out that it, it, it may not be. It could be uh, designed as purely destructive malware and not ransomware. Yeah, so it was kind of, you know, when it originally came out, it was kind of billed as ransomware. But in honesty, from everything I've read, it goes and, and, and does the things that kind of Petya does, but then it destroys the key or something. It actually, there's really no way, for a couple reasons, there's no way to get your files back. First of all, I think they disabled, they had, they had a single email account for where you paid your money, which is kind of weird for ransomware in the first place. Uh, and they've disabled that account, so you couldn't reach them if you try. And second, from everything I've heard, there's no, there's, they've, they've studied the ransomware and looking at the code, there's actually no way to get your files back. Is that true? Yeah, well, the way the code, it, it's interesting. There's two actual encryptors inside Petya. There's their user mode encryptor, which encrypts your files before it even reboots. That actually had a way to decrypt, but then it reboots within an hour. And then once it reboots the computer, it would then encrypt the master file table, which is basically your entire drive has become um, uh, encrypted in a way that you can't access it. That code that is generated for that second portion is just random data. It's just nothing that could be used to then generate a valid ID to decrypt. So what is the point then? So for, from what from what I've read, it seems to have hit Europe the hardest, in particular um, Ukraine and even Russia, I believe. Uh, but it has spread other places. What is If, if you're going to charge somebody to give the files back and not give your files back, that gets around pretty quick. What uh, So I've heard speculation that it's sort of like ransomware. It, it's what they call it, wiperware. Um, disguised as ransomware, so it's just purely malicious. There's, there's, they're not really looking for, for financial gain. But why ask for money if you're not, you know? I, have you, do you have any theories as to what this is really about? Uh, the, the, the main theory is it's just designed to be destructive. It's, um, it's meant to destroy the data on a computer and and make it inaccessible. And the interesting thing about the Ukraine is that there is a particular accounting software that is required to be used by businesses. So the theory is that this um, malware, the wiper, whatever we want to call it, was designed to hurt Ukrainian businesses in a way that they cannot, that their data is gone and there's no way to get it back. So whether this is state sponsored, whether it is, um, you know, some sort of political group or, or it, you know, could very well have been a ransomware release that was bugged and not properly um, tested and got released in the wild by accident or whatever the case may be. Um, but the general conclusion right now is it's some, probably some sort of state-sponsored attack. So a, a lot of people are relating this to WannaCry. What, what other, how does this relate to the WannaCry that we saw just six or seven weeks ago? Yeah, so WannaCry um, was a similar situation where you had a ransomware that spread via a, a worm-like behavior. The interesting thing about WannaCry was that it was not developed very well. Like the ransomware component only gave, was supposed to do unique Bitcoin addresses for every victim. So therefore someone can actually make a payment and they would be able to identify that that was a unique user and so forth. That did not happen. So everyone, for the most part, got a, a certain amount of uh, Bitcoin addresses uh, that were from a pool. So um, that was one of the bigger failures. But as time has gone by, people have analyzed it. And the theory is that it was possibly released by North Korea 
as some sort of state attack against uh, Western countries in order to act as either a smokescreen or um, some sort of just destructive type of attack. Whether or not that's the case, I mean, a lot of this is just purely guesswork, um, is, is unknown, unfortunately. So they're, the some of the DNA or whatever that they share in common is that they were based off some of the, um, I think the, the, the WikiLeaks, was it WikiLeaks or Shadow Brokers dump of NSA tools? So they, 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 they were built off of the, the methods that they used to propagate themselves were, were these NSA tools that were corrupted for this purpose. Uh, and they, they, did, they did share some of that in common, is that correct? Yes, they both use something called Eternal Blue, which is a um, exploit for a SMB version 1 protocol that was patched back, I think, back in February or March this year. Unfortunately, a lot of companies didn't install that patch, whether because they're using legacy hardware that requires Windows XP that didn't have the patch at the time, or they just can't reboot the computer for whatever reason, or they just fail to install the update. Um, but they both use that particular uh, vulnerability to spread and infect computers. So since since Microsoft had released the patch and the you know there's rumors that maybe the NSA tipped them off so they could get this out before it was really released to the public yep. uh, and, and whatever. And so Microsoft did release a patch. In fact, they even released patches for XP, which supports which they had said they were no longer supporting, which is a rare move by Microsoft. So given that we had that, given that we've already had WannaCry six weeks ago. Why are we still vulnerable to this? Why I I I know what you're saying. In fact, we talked. To, I talked to Michael Kaiser about this six weeks ago. There are some legacy systems, but the fact that Microsoft did release a patch for Windows XP and some of these older systems, uh, you mentioned that maybe some of these systems can't be easily rebooted, which of course you'd have to do if you're going to patch them. But what you know, that it seems that at this point we should have seen this coming. That we should have been more prepared, and yet this really spread like crazy. Yeah, and and the interesting thing is. Everything I agree with everything you said. I mean, this is important. You you know that these patches need to be installed. There's obviously an active exploit being used by not only these two ransomware or malware, but there's other ones that have been using Eternal Blue. For example, there's a Bitcoin miner that was, or mm -hmm. um, I think it may have been Monero miner that was using Eternal Blue to spread as well. There have been uh, remote access Trojans that recently have been using Eternal Blue to spread. So it's not only these two particular malwares that are using this this exploit. So people need to really update their programs. I think one of the biggest problems though is IT and security are one of the most under-budgeted and undermanned hmm. groups in any company. And um, one, I think they're swamped. I think that's one. Two, mm -hmm. I think that they, for whatever reason, they're just not being given priority to get things done. And um, and, you know, I think there are some some, you know, companies are just lazy about doing the updates and simple as that. <laughs> well, you think that, well, I hope at least at this point they've got the wake up call because, it's, yeah, yeah <laughs> because it, we obviously need to, do, need to be doing something. And, and there's so many things we could have been doing that prevented this. And yet it, it hasn't happened. So this is a question I love to ask. And I'm curious what your opinion is. Do you believe that software companies should be in any way held liable for this? So is this a is this a failing of our our legal or regulatory regulatory system. Uh, the analogy I always like to make is that car companies, if a car company has a systemic error that causes injury, they'll get sued in a heartbeat, and somebody will probably win some money. But for software, for whatever reason, it seems to be a complete class by itself as a product. They seem to be immune from any sort of liability. And uh, and you know, I know that the end user license agreements that we all 
you know, implicitly or explicitly agreed to whenever we, you know, open the box or, or, or start the software buried in some, you know, lingo, it, it says it's as is no, you know, we hands, we, we don't claim anything for this, you know, any support. And yet no other product in this company, in this country could get away, get away with that. Why, why is software different? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if they should be necessarily held liable, but I, I do see what you're saying. I mean, the, the reality is, is no matter what program is created, there's going to be bugs. And whether that yes. be programs that are running a car, um, that, you know, that operate the machinery behind a car, whether they be the programs that operate your uh, refrigerator or microwave, whatever, whatever, all these now appliances that now are smart and have some sort of computer-based, some programming-based logic behind it. I think, for me, the biggest issue is less the software vendors and more the people who are administrating networks. I mean, we all know that no matter what program you're running, there's going to be an issue. There's going to be bugs. Whether or not they're discovered is a different story, but they're there. Yes. There are ways to mitigate that. Uh, for example, the Eternal Blue stuff, if you had a properly configured firewall where you didn't have um, some of these ports open to the world, you you, you wouldn't be affected by it. So... Um, these types of things, in my opinion, should be really tampered down, really um, closed off, and, and take on into the consideration that there's going to be bugs, there's going to be exploits, and we know that. So we need to now have better skills in order to avoid that. Yeah, and I and I and I agree. I'm a software engineer. I know you know the classic one is you know nine nine bugs on the wall, take one down, fix it. Now there's 105 bugs on the wall, right? right? So. Yeah, it, software is hard to get perfect, and and well, it's impossible to get perfect. So it, it usually it comes for me. It comes down to how quickly can, does it does a company respond when these things happen. Um, but even given that, I, for example, some companies are kind of fly by night companies. So there's I've heard people say maybe what we need in situations like this is when a company goes out of business. You know, part of the rule the law says that their their software needs to be immediately open sourced. There needs to be some way to upgrade this software because that, the trouble with a lot of this IoT stuff is it's not upgradable. And some of these right. companies that go out of business, you're, you're out of luck too. So you're only the only thing you can do is throw it away. Anyway, I guess that's that's a little off topic. So let, let, let's let's back up a bit. So now that we know kind of what this is, give us some more ideas. How do I prevent this from happening in the first place? If I'm just a regular Joe user at home with my computer, how do I prevent myself from getting these kinds of uh, malware? I mean, I think the most important thing is is just practice safe computer habits. Um, for the most part, most consumers at home are going to have some sort of firewall or router, whether it be, whether it be provided by their um, their internet company or whether it's provided by themselves, where they want to have a wireless network. The good thing is these 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 routers, these wireless gateways, act as a firewall for most people. So the worm type malware that's released like for example the nonpedia the WannaCrys, they they won't really affect these users because there's no way to get into their network from the outside um but that doesn't necessarily stop you from other other ransomware or other programs that are distributed via spam or exploit kits and those really need people need to one make sure they have some sort of antivirus solution installed that's up to date and two, they need to be smart about not opening attachments. That's still a really big problem. People yeah. just open attachments. They, they don't think about where it's coming from, who it's coming from, and they just you know open an attachment and they just double click on what they find. That is one of the biggest problems that we're seeing, especially with ransomware, is people just you know just open things. Yeah. 
Well, one of the things I want to bring up about firewalls, and you're exactly right, but because we talk about this a lot, and I think people just kind of glaze over, oh, God, well, how do I set up a firewall? What do I do? How do I get one of those? Most people already have it. If you've got a Wi-Fi router at home, even if it's one provided to you by your cable provider or your service provider, chances are that thing already has a firewall in it. So you don't, you, you've got that protection built in. The, the thing that I think that we that we miss, that, that, we, that, that some advice I usually like to give, is make sure you change the default admin password uh, for your router, because sometimes it, it's uh, <laughs> some of the software uh, security guys I talked to uh, describe it as a crunchy exterior and a gooey interior. So yeah. it, if they once they penetrate the router part, once they actually get in your network, everything's usually kind of wide open. So if something from in, within your network, whether it's a guest with an infected computer or you happen to get one of your computers infected, if they can get to the router from the inside and it's got a default password set, which most of them do, then they can get up to some real mischief. So uh, one of the other things I often recommend people do is they, as they change the admin passwords, anything else along those lines you could recommend? Yeah. I mean, make sure uh, you have all your updates installed. What's one of the biggest issues that I see, even among my family and friends is that you go to their house, you know, you're going there for a barbecue. And the first thing that I do is I get hit with, can you help me with this? You know, (laughs) the first thing I notice when I go on their computer is a little alert saying you have updates to install. <sighs> and those have been there for months. Mm-hmm. If some, in some cases, since it's been installed windows, <laughs> um, and it's easy, you know, just set it to auto install at 1am or 2am at night and it will just automatically keep you updated. But that is one of the single most important things I tell people when it comes to windows is you got to keep those updates installed. It will protect you from, as an example, these particular types of, uh, malware that we're seeing and it will also protect you from exploit kits and things like that absolutely one of the other things i like to tell people too is to create uh, to, to compartmentalize and, and reduce privilege and set up you know most computers come with one one account by default and it's an admin account and the people just use that account all the time in fact multiple family members will share that one account which is bad for many reasons but um, setting up a non-admin account for your day-to-day use, which limits your privilege, which also means whatever malware gets in, it limits that privilege as well. Do you know if this uh, this particular uh, Petya or, or WannaCry would have been mitigated by that particular protection? I don't know if... Um, well, to answer your question in two ways, uh, ransomware in general doesn't really care um, what user mode you're in, what privilege state you're in. It, it runs at the privileges of the user. Um so it, it will, any, any file that you have access to, it will encrypt. The only time it will ask for elevation is when it starts to do commands like to wipe the volume shadow copies or to um, disable startup repair in Windows. Now, Peggy goes a little further because it actually um, modifies the master boot record. And that, I believe, does require administrative privileges. But um, I have not tested it as a standard user, so I'm not really sure what would happen in that case. Gotcha. All right, so antivirus software, you mentioned that earlier, and it's been kind of a, um, a hot-button issue within security uh, community. I've heard different, a lot of different opinions on this, um, and I have my own, but I want to get yours. So yep. can modern antivirus software keep up? There's Antivirus works in at least a couple ways. The classic way is it has a list of things it knows are bad, and if it sees those things, it blocks them. But things are moving so fast today that, that antivirus software has to now somehow be psychic it has it has to you know look for patterns maybe or heuristics that kind of say oh, i've never seen that before but that doesn't look good is there is that sufficient today does that does antivirus software make sense or are you really just better off having good hygiene i i think it's a mixture of both to be honest with you um i think primarily good hygiene is the most important thing you know practicing safe 
computer practices is by far the most important thing you can possibly do on your computer. With that said, it's nice to have a backup. Um, and that's how I look at antivirus software is more of a backup. As long as you practice really good strategies and how to use the computer, you're probably not going to get infected by, by most things, major, vast majority of things. On the other hand, there will be things that you won't be able to notice that can slip by. And that's where you're kind of hoping that the antivirus will come and kick in and, 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 and be a backup for you. Now, the problem with antivirus, as we all know, is signatures don't work. These, these the malware developers are constantly modifying hashes and signatures in such a way that they're just not detectable. And an antivirus can't keep up with it. They just can't do it. Right. Um, so that's where we go to the behavioral detections and the heuristics, which definitely work. Um, and, and that's really going to be the moving forward for the antivirus industry is they're going to have to, you know, they're touting the machine learning and they're, oh, that's like the buzzword is machine learning. Yes. But the reality is um, it, it comes down to behavior and it comes down to heuristics. If something doesn't act right on the computer, it's probably not something you want on the computer. And that's kind of how they're, they're, they're moving forward. So I do feel that antivirus is still important. And I do think that they will keep up, but it's going to change from signature based to more of this behavioral based. Yeah. And that, that's pretty much what I tell people too. The other thing that I also say is um, there are so many old systems in, uh, that are still out there and still connected to the internet that uh, I've heard this called the internet background radiation. There's, there's always all these old things that we've heard about years ago are actually still floating around out there. You just don't hear about them much because most people are protected against them. So even some of these antivirus softwares will also keep, you know, some of the old known stuff that there's still some value. Uh, perhaps in in blocking against the things that have been around forever because they're still going to be around. There's still going to be some computer out there on the net that has some of this old, you know, what were some of the uh, Conficker and some of those other nasty right. ones. So, okay, now I know that um, both Windows and and uh, Mac OS both are coming more secure uh, by default, and and they're coming with some built-in tools uh, that that you get for free. How do you like, for instance, Windows Defender uh, and I, Mac? Mac is kind of confusing. I know they've got some tools built in, but they never talk about them. Right. <laughs> so, uh, talk to me a little bit about what comes by default with the uh, with with the with modern operating systems, and, and are they good enough? Uh, do, for instance, when is, is Windows Defender enough, or do you should be seeking out something else, a third party? Well, I do not think Windows Defender is enough. You know, uh, point blank on that. Um, I think that. Uh, it's great that it's coming with something built in. And, and I know the guys behind the Windows Defender team, uh, the people there are, are working their butts off trying to get it as good as they can. But it's, it's once again, it's, it's a constant um, battle. Um, I think that you still need traditional AV. I think uh, just Windows Defender alone is just not enough at this point. There are some really great things coming out. Um, uh, they're going to have um, mitigation techniques for... Uh, ransomware, for example, they just came out for Windows 10 preview, the ability to have folders that you whitelist programs yes. that are allowed to access it. So for ransomware, I mean, if you if you have, let's say, your data folder, or your pictures folder, or your documents folder, and you say, all right, the only people who can access these, only programs that can access these folders are these specific photo viewers, this particular word processor, and so forth, that could go you know really far. Um, they're also building in new security measures into the kernel so that um, it would be harder for rootkits or, or other processes to get elevated 
um, levels. Um, but ultimately, I do think that I can't speak for Macs. I can really, really speak for Windows. But I, ultimately, I think that though the security is great and it's gotten better, I still think you do need some sort of backup security in there. All right, great. So given that, how do you uh, how would you tell our listeners to find a good antivirus program? Because there are so many yeah. of them, and many of them, unfortunately, with Windows in particular, come pre-installed, you know, with certain six-month free trials and all that kind of crap, and it's so hard to tell. And even and review sites today are also so hard to parse because most of them are for profit. Yep. So how do you know, you know, which ones that are they're rising to the top ten because they've been paid enough? And how how many of them actually doing the due diligence? How do you how do you figure out as a regular Joe? What antivirus software to pick? Yeah, it's a really hard question. And it's a hard question for me, too. Um, when when I wanted to figure out what, and I, for years, I used no antivirus software. I never got affected, but I used one. And then it got, I, I started doing a little too much on my computer that I probably shouldn't have as part of what I do for bleeping computer that I was like, all right, I'm going to put something on. And I had a lot of trouble just the same way figuring out what do I want to use. As you said, everything you go on, these review sites, they're all making commissions from someone. And um, you don't know if that's, you know, maybe um, tarnishing the opinion that they're giving or, you know, changing how they're saying things. For me, I probably choose an AV software um, based upon the impact of performance it has. So hmm. um, I would try out, when I did it, I tried out a few different antivirus softwares and I determined which to me had less of a, a performance impact on my computer. Because a lot of these antivirus softwares can, can slow down the computer. Um, and then from there, I started testing, you know, the antivirus software. And as I went to certain sites, if they started displaying alerts and warning me, I felt more comfortable with that. But there really is um, no way to really go to a site and determine which is the best antivirus software. You really have to find someone you trust and, and hopefully they give you a good opinion. Yeah, I was afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's where I'm at too, and it's hard. Uh, so let me ask you about a couple of aspects in particular. So, yep. what about paid versus free? Because I'm always I'm always leery of free free products uh, because if the company doesn't make money off of you, they got to make money somewhere. Right. And yet there are some companies that have different tiers. Like they'll have an entry level that's free, and they make they make their money on higher tier products. They want to upsell you. Do you have an opinion on free versus paid? Yeah, um, well, I think I think a lot of the times with the free programs, it's almost being offered as a value add. Um, you know, the, the, for most of these AV companies, their their big money is coming from enterprise, um, and it's gotten to the the point in this particular industry where you kind of have to give something for free, even if you don't want it, you kind of have to, and. Um, I think it's kind of almost a throwaway knowing that most of their money is coming from the companies. With that said, um, I do, I think, a, I think the free versions are just as good as, as long as they have real time protection, I think they're just as good as the commercial ones. A lot of times the commercial products will have things that you, you may not really even need anymore. For example, the spam filters or these, uh, anti phishing filters or things like that. A lot of that stuff is already built into the free version. So, um, in my in my opinion, I think if you can find a good free antivirus product, it will do in terms of the real time protection protecting you from malware. It will do the, as ju just as good of a job as the commercial version when it protects you from malware. You may not get the extra bells and whistles, like the anti spam, the anti phishing, or the um, um, firewall, which in many cases most people don't need any need anymore. So. 
that's how I feel about the free stuff. Gotcha. All right, so let me, let me put you on the spot a little bit. So you, you've yep. said you've had a hard time finding one. I have too. Yep. But are there, you know, off the top of your head, can you either name some ones that you know that you've looked at or, or maybe even divulge what you yourself have chosen or what you've chosen for friends and family that have asked this question? And conversely, if even if you can't say that, are there any that you should stay away from? Well, I, I don't like talking bad about anyone. So, But I'll give you what um, I personally use in every computer in my house, which is quite a few of them. We use ESET here uh, for, no, for, no, for no reason other than it, it works great. Uh, it's, I, I rarely know it's there, and um, it's protected me numerous times when I go to sites that I probably shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, um, there are other products that are great as well. Um, Malwarebytes is, is a well-known one. Mm-hmm. Their new version is... Uh, is um, incorporates all of their their different platforms that were before as separate programs into one, so it becomes a, a really full featured package. Another pro- program that I really like is Emsisoft. Um, their behavioral platform is great. It um, it has stopped. I think it, I think it has a track record of, record of almost stopping almost every ransomware that's ever come out just based on its behaviors. Hmm. Um, and uh, though there's been a lot of uh, buzz about them lately, I still like Kaspersky. I think uh, they make a really great product. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately, what's going on with them? People may want to avoid them. I mean, I, I can't answer to that, but their product is great. You know, some of the things that some of the programs that I find that I wouldn't want to say without naming names are the <laughs> ones that you may find that are bundled onto your computer. When right. You buy them. Right. Um, you know, I find that not only do they horribly slow down the computer, um, they are constantly filled with nag screens, and yes. they're more of an annoyance than they are a help. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Now, you mentioned live filtering, and this is something that may delve a little bit too technical for the audience, but I'm going to try to keep it at a high level. Live filtering uh, often means, when you're talking about encrypted connections, is that your software, you're giving your software permission to be basically be a man in the middle of an encrypted connection. And I've heard all sorts of negative things about that particular behavior. And that, and there are cases where that has gone horribly wrong. Um, I know it's highly technical and without getting you know too deep, what is your feeling about it? I've actually recommended that people, if that feature is on their system, to not enable it for that reason. What do you think? You know, it's a tough one. You're... you're, you're... You're trading off security for privacy, essentially, and and for the potential for that computer, that that particular product, to listen on information that really they don't have the right to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the basically the the, the the live filtering, which is almost like a man in the middle, which is where they they use their own certificate in order to be able to listen in on encrypted data, allows them not only to, on one hand, it allows them to protect you from sites that are using SSL connections. Um, or or encrypted traffic, but on the other hand, it now has ac- access to everything you are putting on the web. It doesn't matter if you're logging into a bank. It doesn't matter if you're logging into your email. Um, you think you're sending an encrypted uh, uh, um, form submission to a company you're working with, whatever the case may be. It has access to that information. It's really scary in that way. Yes. Um, so I mean, it's really a trade-off. Uh, do you want to? be 100% secure in terms of what the antivirus can do, or you want to give them access to all of your information. I personally agree with you. I think it's kind of, you're better off not enabling that feature if it's a possibility. Um, The reality is I I don't know of that many malware sites that are using um, SSL to 
transmit malware. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm sure it does, and I'm sure it's out there. But for, but for the most malware distrib- distribution, it's not on SSL sites anyways. So I kind of agree with you. I think it's a, a little more scary than it is worth it. All right, great. Um, so let's let's get some nuts and bolts here. So I'm I'm a home user. I've got a computer, and it's it's acting funny, or maybe it's going a little yep. slow, or it's it's acting different somehow. I can't put my finger on it. Something's weird, or maybe I'm getting I'm getting a pop up ad where I didn't used to get a pop up ad before. How do I know if I'm infected? How do I figure that out? If I'm if I'm if I'm worried, what can I do to figure that out? Yeah, I mean, um, the the first thing is. As you said, does it feel strange? I mean, you, people who use their computers use it day in, day out, and they kind of get an idea of how it's supposed to perform. If suddenly one day you wake up and it is not working the same way it did previously, then something has changed. You know, it's really as simple as that. It could, you know, could it be hardware, could it be software? Who knows? But something is different now. Um, so with that said, the what I suggest to people do is, of course, run an antivirus scan. If you're running an antivirus program already, download, for example, Malwarebytes or, or MSOsoft or Zamana. Get a second opinion. Do some scans. See what it finds. If it looks like it found something, let the programs remove it. If you still can't, um, if, if there's still an issue and you still can't get um, your problems, problems resolved, you can always go to a site like mine or there's other support sites on the web where you can go on and get free one-on-one help. And they'll, they'll, people, helpers will actually analyze your system and get logs back and go over everything with you and explain what should be removed and provide steps to do that. Um, unfortunately, there are times when you just can't figure out what is wrong at that point. And unfortunately, symptoms like that... Um, Either you're going to have to then start looking at hardware or you do a, re- a reinstall of the Windows operating system. Yeah, which is so which easy is to, last, so easy yeah. and convenient for most people to do. <laughs> yes. All right. So uh, I've downloaded the software. Ever in the, if, uh, they, let me ask you this question. I know a lot of people, too, maybe unless it came with their computer and they accepted it, they may not already have antivirus software. How important is it other than the obvious protection effects of hopefully not getting infected in the first place? Is there any other major advantage to having the AV software installed before you think you're infected uh, versus after? Like, is it, is it laying some protections other than, uh, or, or is it setting up a groundwork for something to make it maybe easier to fix afterwards? Or, uh, it, or is the only advantage to having it beforehand just the protection aspect? Well, no, I mean, you bring up a good point. One of the, one of the, one of the ways that malware tries to protect itself is they don't allow you to run programs. Um, in fact, that back in 2009, they had these rogue anti-spyware, rogue antivirus programs that were very prevalent, which when you install them, you couldn't do anything on your computer. Um, so even if you wanted to now try to install a antivirus software, you weren't able to. It was very difficult. Um, and that trend has continued. So by having that layered, that layered protection, that protection beforehand, um, one, not only blocks, potentially blocks it from ever even getting on your computer, but it allows you now to have a working program already installed that you can then use to uh, potentially do a scan. All right, perfect. So what is the future of computer security? Are we going to win this war? Give us some hope. Is there, <laughs> are we going you've, you've talked a little bit about the, the, some upcoming Windows 10 features, and I'm sure that, that, that Apple is working on similar features as yep. well. But our, our, you know, it seems like a cat and mouse game where, where we're constantly, constantly one-upping each other and uh, and, and trying to, you know, each of them slightly getting advantage and going back and forth. Is there a, is there a future where this just, work, you know, doesn't work? For instance, whitelisting. We kind of talked about that with that Windows 10 feature. It seems to yep. me 
that, you know, at the end of the day, we may just be headed to the point where nothing runs unless I explicitly say it can, which will be inconvenient and people don't like that. But is that the solution or what, what, what can we expect in the future? Are we going to win this war or not? Well, I mean, white, there, there is no better um, protection mechanism than whitelisting. I mean, hands down, there is nothing better than that. The problem, though, is it's incredibly hard to set up and it's hard to manage. Um, and it's very confusing for many people to use. Yeah. Um, unless unless a, a a system is is introduced that really makes that an easy process, I, I'm, I'm not I don't think that's going to be anything we're going to see in the near future. Um, so as much as I would love to see it, I don't think so. Um, I do, though, think that things are going to get better. I think ultimately, though, there will always be malware wherever there's money to be made. And these guys are making a ton of it. Um, they're going to find ways of bypassing um, any restrictions that are put in place. Um, but the good news is, as new versions of Windows um, have been coming out, they have been getting more secure. Windows 10 has been a great improvement when it comes to um, anti-virus um, incidents. Uh, malware incidents being installed on Windows 10 has been greatly reduced. Um, so I, I do. I do have hopes that it's going to get better. I, I am also a realist in the sense that I think that ult we will always have this this type of issue. We always have malware. We always have to protect ourselves from our computers. And and you know those Mac a lot of Mac users think that they're that they're protected, which is a, a, a problem because they're really not. They're just not targeted yet. Right. And um, as their market share increases, as Apple's market share increases, there we're going to find more and more malware being created for Macs as well. So it is important that uh, users of Macs really don't think that they're immune. You know, they should be practicing good computer habits as well. Absolutely. One of the other things I, I like to tell people, and I think an interesting option for many people that a lot of people don't consider, are things like Chromebooks uh, and the upcoming Windows 10 S, uh, and, and even in, t in a similar way, things like uh, iPads and, and tablets, yep. uh, even your smartphone, because these things were, were kind of... They're, they're, they were built with limited permissions built in already. And they're, they're kind of, I, I think that in a lot of, for a lot of people, a Chromebook is all they need. If you're, if you're just surfing the web and checking your email, they're cheaper <laughs> and they're much harder to infect. Do, what, do you agree? Do, do you have any opinions on those? No, I 100% agree. I mean, uh, most of the people I know who just use web and email, I tell them just get an iPad. You know, if, if that's really all you need, get an iPad or, or even a Chromebook or, you know, Windows 10 S will be great. Not only do you have the the limited permissions, but you have every app being vetted before it even gets out to you. Right. Um, um, that is one of the issues that Android's having right now is um, the apps are kind of a little more open to get installed onto the onto the Google Play Store. They're not being vetted as well. Yeah. Um, so far, uh, Apple has done a great job on that, um, and Microsoft's similar platform, which they were doing with the Microsoft Surface. Um, and now they're going to be doing with the Windows 10s is, um, you know, these programs are, are, are vetted by actual people before they are allowed to be used. Now, of course, there's always human error. And of course, you know, something's <laughs> always going to sneak through, but um, it, it really locks it down and makes it much harder. Yeah. Well, fantastic. We've covered a lot, a lot of ground today, and hopefully we've given our uh, listeners a lot of uh, actionable things they can do to protect themselves and educated them on, on what's really going on and, and how scared they should be. <laughs> Uh, so before we go, though, uh, anything else you'd like to tell us about your site? Anything else we could do to support your efforts? I know you're out there fighting the good fight, and I don't know how, um, how you're paying for all that, but you know, is there anything we could do to support you or, or, or support this kind of effort in general? 
Now just come and take a look. Uh, you know, we're, we're always happy to have new people come by and uh, we're happy to help. And, you know, we have a really lively community of millions of users that come by every month um, looking for just, you know, the latest tech news, the latest security news, or just want to just discuss malware. I mean, it, I love malware. I mean, I think it's a fascinating subject. It's uh, it's constantly changing. It's a it's a game. You know, we have these people, these these ransomware developers coming to this to the, to my site and and talking to us. And as 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 much as they are criminals and as much as they are hurting people, um, it's it's a really fascinating subject to be communicating to these people um, and 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 seeing their perspective because these people really. They don't think they're doing anything wrong, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> and um, um, so, yes, yeah, so, I mean, just come on by, uh, try to take advantage of what we can offer, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on the site. Well, fantastic. Thank you for doing what you're doing, and thank you very much for coming on today and helping us understand all this malware stuff. My pleasure. Thanks. You're listening to the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network. It's where we say, let the silent voices be heard. We invite you back to AmericaOutloud.com to get all the latest. Make it a daily stop and also get the app. You go right to the App Store and download our free app, and that will put all our content right into your hands on your phones and your tablets. It doesn't get any easier than that. That was some fantastic information. Be sure to go to bleepingcomputer.com. Poke around in there. There's some really good info. There's some great tutorials. Uh, a lot of really good, solid, free help from people who care uh, for when you run into computer problems. Check that out. And now it's time for our tip of the week. Uh, every week I try to bring you one really good, solid, actionable thing that you can do to protect your security and privacy that you are probably not already doing. And this week, we're going to talk about using non-administrative accounts. Now, when you buy your computer, uh, whether it be a Windows computer or a Mac computer, uh, that comes with one uh, login account already set up for you. That's the, the main account. And for most people, that's all they ever use. They have one account, even if they've got multiple people in their household, multiple people in the family that are accessing all the same computer, they just have the one account, which means that when someone else comes to the computer, they've got to log you out of whatever sites you're in and log back into whatever sites they're in. Uh, it's kind of a pain in the butt. But honestly, that's just how most people do it. And I don't know if it's because people don't know about setting up other accounts or they're just too lazy to do it. But I'm here to tell you that you need at least two accounts on every one of your computers. And this works for both Windows and Mac because the 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 computer account that comes with it has full permissions, all privileges. And the key thing to note there is that if you ever got infected with some sort of a virus, that virus can do on that computer whatever you can do on that computer. So this is what we call in the security industry the principle of least privilege. And every day, use of my computer, I don't need to do things that are changing important system settings or changing security settings or firewall settings or installing... Um, 
software like antivirus software and things, those are things I do very rarely. And those, those require administrative privilege because they have such a deep effect on your system. So what you need to do to protect yourself from, from these things and the rest of your family members is to create separate accounts. Now, at a bare minimum, as I said, you need two. You need one for administrative stuff, the, the account that comes with the computer. Then create a non-administrative computer account. And I, it, by the way, this is all covered in my book with step-by-step and pictures. If you want to check that out, I will also uh, provide some links on the show notes uh, on the website for this podcast you can check out for how to do this. Uh, so it's kind of hard to describe, but I'm going to tell you why you want to do it, and then you can go to the website to figure out how to do it. So you set up a separate account, and on that account, you set it up as a regular account. And on that regular non-administrative account, it has limited privileges. It can't do so much. It can really only affect anything for that account, but it can't affect things for other accounts or for the rest of the computer. So you're compartmentalizing your, the data on the computer and the access on the computer. So if you use that non-admin account on, on, on most, for most things and you somehow manage to get that account uh, infected, that shouldn't, it should not be able to affect anything else on the computer. The worst case, you would just have to wipe that one account and create a new account, and everything else on the computer should be fine. Uh, I read a study somewhere that said that something like 90%, uh, a couple of years ago, 90% of the, of the damage done by the worst malware could have been mitigated or eliminated if you had just had an admin account. And I think it was something like 100% or 99% uh, of the bugs through Internet Explorer. So it really does have a profound effect, and it really limits what malware can do should you screw up somehow and get this on your machine. So not only should you have just two accounts, and that's the bare minimum, you really should have one account per person in the family. So if you've got your teenage uh, teenager who's downloading all sorts of stuff from websites who knows where, you can contain that by having that child with their own account so that if they happen to screw something up, you can just wipe that account and, and recreate it. Um, same thing for anybody else in your family. You could even go further and you could create accounts for different purposes. So uh, you have your admin account always. Uh, you always have to have at least one admin account that you hardly ever use. And then let's say you've got your personal everyday account where you do your email and your web surfing and just kind of your day-to-day stuff. But if you want to get super paranoid, you could have another account for yourself that is your, let's say, your financial account. So when it comes time to do your taxes or if you want to pay your bills or do stuff with your banking, you do that completely in the other account. You never mix those two. So you're, you're rarely using the financial account. You're much more careful on the financial account. When you go into that account, you're going to the website to your bank, and you're not going anywhere else. You're not opening any other emails. You're not opening up any files or clicking on any of the links. You go to that, you go to that account, you do your financial stuff, you get back out. So that when your day-to-day account, when you're doing your emails, and you might accidentally open up that one document that's infected or something or click a link that takes you to that bad website that tries to download something and affect your computer, at least all your financial information, your bank account information, uh, your taxes, files that have to do with you know personal stuff, maybe medical or whatever, that is in a separate account. So again, it's about compartmentalization. It's principle of least privilege. It's making sure that you break things down and you only give things access to what they need to have access to because whatever you can access, the malware can also access. So that's your tip of the week. Again, go to the website. I've got some links to help you set up these accounts if you need to. Of course, you can also get this information from my book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons on Amazon, uh, that has pictures and step-by-step instructions as well. So that's another way to get that info. And there you go. That's going to wrap up another edition of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Thanks for tuning in. We've got more great info coming up in the future. 
And of course, you can go back and check out old episodes if you missed them. There's great stuff there. Uh, make sure you don't miss an episode. You can download the uh, America Out Loud apps. You can get the radio show app and the podcast app. That'll give you full access to everything. It's free. Could not be easier. You can pick those up off the website. That way you can make sure you can catch all the episodes and go back. And of course, there's plenty of other great content on this network as well. Check that out as well. As always on the website, you'll find links to further information and further reading from the topics that we covered during the podcast. And you, of course, can go back to old episodes and get those links as well. You can also find your link to Hover.com where you can get 10% off your very first purchase for your domain name. And many thanks once again to Lawrence Abrams from Bleeping Computer for those wonder, for the wonderful interview today and the great information. Definitely check out that website. Just bookmark the website. There's some great info there for you. And we'll be having more great guests and more great info for you coming up. So tune back again next week. And until then, as usual, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. Take care, everybody. See you next time.